I purpose that I wasn't going to join a gospel choir as an extracurricular activity. But we as people can be persuaded. And that's what happened to me. I connected with a friend who was also a member of the football team via class. And while talking one day, he told me he was also a drummer. So I said, wow, you're a musician too? So am I. So we clicked on that and talked about our experience playing in churches and growing up and stuff like that. He said, man, you should come to rehearsal sometime. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I play for the choir here on campus. I was like, you do? He was like, yeah, you should definitely come out. I said, man, I don't know about that. I'm still playing at my home church, travel home on the weekends, getting paid for that. So as a music director, I was, you know, pretty much committed to, to that at the time. Didn't want any more on my plate. At that time, I just wanted to stay focused, enjoy school, campus life, do my work, go to games, hang out, play ball, you know, the stuff typical college students would do and leave that for the weekends. But I eventually took him up on it. He kept asking and I decided to check it out. Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This This is is Musically Hitched. If you enjoyed today's content, don't forget to please like and subscribe so that you're always notified when new episodes are released. The guys in the band heard me play a rehearsal one night after coming out and they were like, yeah, man, you definitely need to be a part of the choir. We got room for you. And that changed everything because then I got to play with some exceptionally talented people from around the state of North Carolina, but also from around the country. Great musicians who were all doing it on a volunteer basis, but we were all able to share with one another and to get better at those rehearsals in what was called the Upendo Lounge. And from there, it just kind of blossomed. And my skill as a bassist and keyboardist just continued to evolve past where I probably would have been able to get it as an adolescent. And And that's that's where where we met. met. We met in the UNC Gospel Choir. And I don't remember ever going up to Zach and introducing myself formally. Maybe I did, but um, he always says that he knew my name because the choir members would say, Sing, Krista! Because I used to, you know, sing solos in the choir. (laughs) And uh, so that's the way that he found out what my name was. That's a true story. I mean, you know, we come from a culture where when you grow up in a church, you say, Chris, you know, you hear people say stuff like that all the time. So that was honestly the way that I first heard her name. But the interesting thing is that it really didn't mean any more than that at the time. So um, our story was not a was not a love at first sight story because I saw you probably before you saw me, you know, and then how would you, how would you describe our musical hitching? I mean, meeting in the gospel choir is one thing, but then you have to build a relationship outside of that. I remember very vividly seeing Zach uh, during summer school in college in the area that we call the pit. And he was walking 
in one direction and I was walking towards the library. And so it, we met up almost like the country western with tumbleweed. You know, it seemed like nobody was out there. And, you know, we said, hi, you know, how you doing? And tried to figure out, you know, what are you up to? And ended up that we were going to the same place. And so we ended up going to the library and trying to get some work done, but we were talking kind of along the way. I was just going to check my email. I wasn't going to get work done. Oh, oh okay. Well, maybe I thought you were a little bit more studious than checking email. <laughs> yeah. Back then, we had to actually go into a place that had a computer so you could actually check your email. Very different than checking your email 9,000 times a day on your phone. But we were able to make conversation. And it was pretty much lunchtime because summer school classes ended midday. So let's just say it was around one o'clock-ish. And I was about to leave campus for the day on my way to my car, quick stop at the library, run into Crystal, and then we strike up conversation. And the whole way, when I'm when I'm approaching Crystal, back to that you know, Western movie analogy, I'm thinking the whole time in my head, what is her name? What is her name? I know that I've said Come on, name. you knew my what name. Come on. God, I got to know this girl's name before I get it. You know, and I'm thinking, and it finally hits me, oh, yeah, yeah, Crystal, same Crystal. That's, that's the girl that sings the solos in the choir. So that's really all it was, and it was an attempt to make conversation so it wouldn't seem like, you know, too, two people, black man, black woman, we cross paths, can't even speak. You know, it's, it was important, I felt, to to acknowledge her and say hello and, you know, see if we had anything past a, a hello and a goodbye. And apparently we did because I asked you out to lunch after we started talking for a while because I was leaving campus and the vibe that I was getting was, was a good one. And I felt like I wanted to continue the conversation if she was interested in doing so. So I invited her to lunch. Of course, it was a meal. You know, I like to fellowship over food. So it was a good way to learn more about Zach and figure out if we had some things in common. And we did, we had a lot of things in common. Um, some of which were loving music and growing up in musical families, um, liking sports. I was an athlete in school and a basketball, I ran track as well. So, you know, I'm sure we had some conversations about playing basketball, but also watching sports um, and being college students at UNC Chapel Hill uh, made it even worse, right? Because we were into, he went to a lot of the games on campus where I didn't so much, but of course you kind of catch them when you can. Go Heels. <laughs> but, you know, we had other things in common too, growing up in small towns, having both parents, uh, in our lives and, and having siblings, things of that nature. So I think what piqued my interest was how we just seem to be similar in numerous ways. Yeah, we both have sisters that are eight years older. Very interesting. Absolutely. Both were the baby of the family. You know, we were able to connect her parents for musical. Family liked to sing. My family had a gospel group growing up. We sang together all the time. Uh, so it was just a lot of immediate connection seemed like the more we talked the more we had in common so it made me glad that i didn't just walk by her on the campus and not say hello because obviously we, we wouldn't be here doing a podcast today if that hadn't happened and a lot of other great memories that we've shared over the years for almost 20 years we've collaborated while using our musical talents whether leading a church's music ministry, writing and producing songs, or building our music business, we found that our talents complement each other. 
We are music and entertainment professionals living the dream of doing what we love and using what we have. We are Musically Hitched. Looking back over our musical journey, over time it has evolved in phases of what I'll refer to as the three E's. Exploration, education, and expansion in entrepreneurship. When we first got started along our journey, we had some specific goals that we wanted to obtain in music, but also in life. And one of those involved our location. Right. We moved to the north, to New York City, and that is where we had the opportunity to go to auditions and see Broadway plays and see people uh, busking on the street. You name it, when it came to entertainment, they had it. So it really caused us to have a unique experience in comparison to what we were accustomed to in North Carolina. Yeah. So we chose Brooklyn and there's no place like New York City. We, we, we fell in love immediately, but not without culture shock. It was a very, very tough adjustment. I mean, this is, uh, you know, the melting pot. It's uh, it's one of the most popular places in the world, obviously. So we coming from small town uh, USA and being from the South, as Crystal said, it was a, a very big culture shock. But it was also a great opportunity for us to utilize the skills that we learned being from a small town. We learned how to to communicate and how to build relationships. And so. We'd heard myths about, well, you know, it's going to move really fast and people are not going to be that talkative and not going to be that friendly. Uh, there is truth to that, of course. But we also found that that's one of the, the greatest places and some of the places where we built some some of our longest lasting relationships. Crystal specifically, I know you've had a friend for since really the first day that we right. were there, it seems like. So my first job in the city, um, I met this friend and it's been almost 20 years now. So that experience brought us together in a friendship, and that was cool. What I was going to add to the conversation is about, you know, we were used to being in church in North Carolina and using our gifts there. We did the same in New York, but we also would go to BMI meetings and workshops, right? Yep. Um, we did some other things as well as far as connecting to the secular side of the industry. Yeah, there's, there's just so much opportunity that we went from not knowing – anything about the city to realizing, okay, there is everything we could possibly ever want to be or accomplish here. There's, there's music, there's film, there's TV, there's record labels, there's fashion, you name it, it's all here. So the exploration stage, as I mentioned, is where you really start to see what all is out there to get hitched to. And you start to make specific choices and specific moves. So in your early 20s, no, you don't know everything that you need to know, but you do know at some point what you want through exploration. And that was our exploration ground. How did you sustain yourself being in the city in a new place? Did you just do music or did you also have a job? Absolutely. That's the easy answer. The answer to that is yes. Um you know, t there's a saying about New York is if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And we found that to be true. But how do you make it uh, when you're just getting started and you only have a little bit of money in your pocket? You've got to work. That's just common common sense. Or at least it was to us at that time. 
Um, so we we went. I went with a job, and Crystal, of course, found one relatively quickly at that time after we got there. But those jobs were not musical. I was in retail at the time. I was in sales, and I was still pursuing music on the side. Um, so we got there with a goal in mind, but we also had a source of income that we could build off of from that point that would help us to begin to pursue things such as recording objectives or traveling or investing in workshops or or paying for studio sessions, et cetera. The main thing was staying active in music in some way, finding out about opportunities and pursuing those, whether great or small. We had to utilize our music talents while we were still working full time. Yeah, everybody's musical journey is not the same. So someone that goes to Berkeley, for example, is already on a track from the time they leave high school. They've got four years of a professional music business education and training where you're exposed to careers, whereas we did not have that experience. We went to universities, but we also had to find our way in the music business. So right. what we knew at that point was, okay, you can make you can make money from playing in church. But we had to figure out the other ways to do the music business. There was one thing. It's one thing to have the love of the music. It's another thing to have a love for the business and develop the acumen that it takes to do transactions with other people and to get hired to do things that will allow you to begin to sustain yourself for music. So having a job for for us was critical. And I'm sure for many, probably millions of you out there. Uh, it's the same thing right now. So do not get discouraged. If you are working right now in a nine to five scenario, you need to learn to use that to your advantage. Um, I, I've always been an advocate for the idea of, you know, five to nine is just as important as nine to five. Right. And your skills are transferable. So the skills that you're building on your nine to five can be transferable into your own business or if you're sole proprietor, if that's what you want to do down the line in the industry or even work with the music company, you can use those skills. Right. So we learned, obviously, with our experience and having worked in the church prior to, and then we ended, immediately plugged into a church while we were in New York City, we were able to immediately make an impact there while, again, doing the nine to five thing throughout the week. So one of the ways that we were able to successfully maintain a musical career over this time is through the skill set that we were developed developing in the music opportunities that we had. One of those is leadership. And so before we were, you know, we're leaders now, but a lot of people, you know, don't really think about a leader's journey before they became a leader. If you meet a person in leadership, you may just make the assumption that they've been there all along. We were first under leadership and great leadership before we were ever over leadership. And that started both in North Carolina and continued in New York City. And we just continued to have the opportunity to learn uh, from others that were in leadership about how to be great leaders. And we learned some things along the way that we knew that we should do. And we also learned some things that we probably wouldn't try. We just right. were going to improve upon what we saw, but we had the opportunity to learn. So that incubation stage where you're covered and someone else is is taking on all the risks, so to speak, that's a very valuable period for a musician as well. Because once you go at this thing full time, there's no looking back. You got to be ready 
There's no one's going to give you second chances. It all rests on you. It's all it's really it's literally all rests on you. And it's all or nothing at times, Mm -hmm. depending on what the opportunity is. You got to be all in. And that's from a skills perspective. But there's also soft skills. So how do you how would you say uh, soft skills for us have played out in our ability to successfully maintain music careers? Well, I think when it comes to learning the art of communication, learning the art of uh, relationship building, that's something that we paid attention to when we were uh, working in certain roles, whether it was assisting, volunteering, whatever the case may be. I think we paid attention and soaked up those lessons. Um, If we were asked to do something, even though um, you know, we may not have been 100% sure at that time, we just said yes. And then we jumped in and we gave it our all. And so those soft skills of asking questions, listening, giving feedback, um, all of those things, not just communication, but additionally, the other soft skills that we needed to pull in, we were able to do so. Yeah. And again, back to the the idea of working, uh, you know, as a musician in the church scenario, uh, some of those soft skills that we developed for sure were leadership. But in addition to leadership, you know, team building, how to work with other people, particularly volunteers, how to attract the right people, attracting the right people, recruiting, uh, strengthening a music department as you know, from taking it from where it was when you got there to where it was, you know, when you left, uh, understanding a vision mm-hmm. and, and creating and curating music that fits a certain personality type or a certain community, uh, community that's big absolutely uh personnel you know we, we learn how to to put teams together as i said but specifically musical teams which has translated to our ability these days to to help create a touring entourage that would that would be ideal to work together everybody doesn't have chemistry and musicians and musical teams or whether it's a music producer and an artist or an artist and a manager there has to be chemistry all along the way and you have to learn how to create chemistry sometimes you can't manufacture it it's just natural but there are things that we learn that you can do to boost morale along the way that would allow people that otherwise are very talented but may not be able to coexist successfully we found ways to do that and i credit the church a lot for the experience about how we learn to do that with people that that weren't getting paid for it. They didn't all want to be professional musicians or singers. Uh, some did along the way, but the majority probably did not. But we were still able to to glean and learn and hone skills in that specific environment. Well, I mean, the church is a hodgepodge of folks from all walks of life, oh, yeah. different age groups, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses. So if you can work with groups in the church successfully, you'll do fine in your own venture or as you're plugging yourself in later in the expansion and entrepreneurship phase. Yep. And I mean, everybody, you think about Whitney Houston, you name it, anybody that you can think of, particularly uh, specifically speaking to a probably like the African-American church experience, a lot of musicians that are African-American got their start in the church and maybe the same for other ethnicities as well. But it's just a cultural thing for us, particularly being from the South. That is where we cut our teeth. And so you learn, um, you learn how to sing, you learn how to be charismatic. You learn how to work a crowd or work the room. Improvise. Stage presence is, is, is like a given. It's like a must. It just comes along 
with your environment, the emotion and the soul and the feeling, those are things that you you just you have to develop. And so that helps in the secular environment that helps to understand how to put on a good show. It helps to learn how to keep people's attention, pacing. All of those things are are skills that you were able to learn in that environment. Would would you agree with that? Absolutely. Chris? So the sacred touches the secular, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Uh, some other things, you know, just explore, exploring, you know, building relationships with people that were not in the church, people that were songwriters and producers and managers. We got a chance to meet them through opportunities such as uh, BMI workshops mm-hmm. or meetings, uh, studio sessions, you know, networking with people trying to get session work, whether it was on the musical side or whether it was on the on the vocal side, Crystal doing background vocals. Those are all ways that we were able to connect with people and take what skills we had, what abilities we had, what talents we had, and then begin to apply them to different genres of music, expanding our musical palette. Absolutely. So I know that we talked about exploration. What about education? We moved into the education phase for a while. Yeah, education uh, is is critical to any industry, but the music business is no exception. Along the way, we both became teachers because we were still working, as we said, nine to five scenarios while pursuing our music. Not teachers of music. <laughs> no, teachers, like as in public school mm-hmm. teachers. Right. And as public school teachers, we learn from the children. We learn from the parents, the administrators and the community. We learn how to manage uh, systems and processes and children. If you want to know if something is working, test it in front of a group of kids. Right? Right. So we built up a lot of confidence because we had the opportunity to present to them every day. And they would be very candid as to whether or not something is working uh, or not. Right. Exactly. And even even things like music, like I think looking back now, um, everything about pop culture, you can see it if you walk into a school. Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with teenagers, which we were, we were working with kids that were between the ages of 11 years old and, and 15 school. years, yeah. pretty much at that time. So whatever is hot, they know it way before the average adult is going to know it. They already know the lyrics. They already know the lingo. They are influencing the culture by their choices and nothing has changed. So working in the education system actually gave us a unique advantage to create music when we left. Again, that five to nine window or five to 12 or what five to five. Some people might, you know, whatever you have to do to grind it out. You were able to take experiences, uh, understand why songs were hot, see talent developing up close and personal and know that you were both mentoring them and educating them on the scholastic side of things. But you also, I spent a lot of time personally encouraging kids to pursue their dream because I was still pursuing my own and I wanted them to know that they could do whatever they wanted to do. But hearing them talk about the music that they like and why they liked it helped to keep your ear to the street, so to speak, so that you could make the type of product, uh, whether it was, you know, whatever, regardless of the genre, making something that would be hot, that would resonate with them. And I I credit even our experience in education there. But we learn how to lead, teach, and train, which ultimately prepared us for the future. But what would you say about the importance of music business education to a person that is musically hitched Mm -hmm. and wants to know how to make this thing work from a financial perspective? How important is that education component? 
Well, first of all, you need to know how the systems are set up so that you can be compensated for what you do. You also need to know the laws that support musicians and artists and entertainers so that you can tap into those resources that are available to you as you are growing in your music uh, career. If, if you're not reading books, if you're not reading blogs, watching videos and, you know, taking in other information about the industry, then you will be lost. You'll be making assumptions and you will miss out on um, certain opportunities because you're just ignorant about what's out there. Music, the music industry has changed so much in the last 10 years, as we all know. And with the changing industry, there is changing information. Um, so, you know, we would get involved in certain groups that would be informed. I know that we would go to like the policy summit in DC and just stay abreast as to uh, what is happening on the front within music. Right. So, Music business education, I would say, is critical to anyone who is musically hits, wants to remain musically hits. So the ability to teach yourself the skills, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's learning Pro Tools or Logic, whether it is uh, teaching yourself how to put a show together, uh, being willing to be coached by a vocal coach or an artist development personnel, you got to make sure that you are in a position of learning growing too, while yeah. also being willing to share what you know mm -hmm. to help those that are in partnership with you and, and even those that are following in your footsteps. So that's a big component, I would say, education. Mm -hmm. So after we've done a little exploration, obviously we, we know where to hone in on the, the learning, the education piece, which helps you to become what you want to be. You have to become it over time. Mm -hmm. If you don't just, you know, we're not born with musical silver spoons proverbially mm -hmm. right. in our mouth. So we've got to become that professional that we aspire to be. Right. And I think there is a misconception even about those folks in the industry who were born into musical families that were famous, right? Those people still had to go through the school of hard knocks a lot of time and learn which avenue was going to be best suited for them if they wanted to stay in that industry as they grew older. I think about, um, you know, certain folks that come to mind in film, for instance, if they had a parent who was in film, they probably had conversations about uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but that child had to still know what it was going to take for them to get to a certain uh, status. Uh, just because you were born into a certain situation does not guarantee success. So for those of us who did not have that uh, coming up, we knew that there was a lot of experience that we needed, networking that we had to do, and ultimately making good decisions along the path to whatever success would look like for us in the music and entertainment industry. Right. So staying connected, again, just recapping, we were teachers. And while we were teaching, we did things such as Crystal doing background vocals for recording artists, mm -hmm. both on stage and in the studio. Right. My family group was recording at that time. And so we were putting some music together. Zach was working with us. Writing songs, producing, music directing. We also served as a music director for a couple of, of local stage productions, musicals at the time, uh, creating custom music and voiceovers for those same projects, as well as for some small businesses mm -hmm. along the way and recording and releasing original music. We did all of this part-time while still working the nine to five 
full time. So educating ourselves in the business of music and in the process of how to be a professional musician while also educating in real life, sustaining and building up capital to help keep these music projects going until the next level was reached. And then the education led to making a decision as to how to jump in, you know, head first right. into the industry. Will I am of the Black Eyed Peas. I remember seeing an interview by him and someone asked him, when are you going to, to get a job? When are you just going to get a real job? And Will's response was, I, I do have a job. <laughs> I'm just not getting paid yet. Mm-hmm. And I said, that is the key to musically hits success. You have to see it as a job before it is a job. You have to work it like a job before it can be your full-time job. In other words, in this business, there's a lot of seed sowing and a lot of planting. You can plant for years before you harvest anything, but you have to work it like you're getting paid in order to get paid. And obviously his story is, is a huge success story, but the point is that he had the belief even at that time to say that one day, because I'm sowing good seeds, because I've educated myself, because I have a niche, because I've developed and honed my craft, one day I am going to get paid handsomely for the work that I've already done, not just the work that I'll be doing. And I think, you know, what we're talking about is consistency, uh, especially for those of you who are young and listening to this podcast or you're you know, uh, fresh out of school or even a young adult, and you're trying to figure out which way do I need to go in the industry? You have to be consistent in your job before you get paid uh, because people around you, your support network and your circle want to see that you are doing what you say you want to do. It can't be this one week I'm, you know, making records and then the next week I'm taking off and I'm going to this place and doing something else. No, they have to see a focus Right. So exploration, Mm -hmm. education, and expansion. What I would consider where we are now in the stage of expansion, because now we are entrepreneurs, we have transitioned out of the nine to five world years ago, Mm -hmm. and we're now focused on expanding our enterprise on the exploration stage that we went through and the education that we've gone through. We're now in a position to be able to help and employ others who are pursuing music business goals while still pursuing our own. To our listeners, we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's content, be sure to like and subscribe so that you'll always be notified of new episodes. This is Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. We look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Musically Hitched. Mm -hmm.